that's the great thing about competition is or even just running in general is it's it's all about yourself and maybe even greater than that your your running community is behind you and they want you to do well or set prs but you know as as long as you're happy or, or like as long as you're doing things that are of value to you i think people really rally behind that and i think that's what's so cool and unique about the running community and um you know i just focused on on myself and was trying to run a big PR for the day and uh, you know the stars aligned and gave me an extra cherry on the top there to you know win a national championship so it was all the merrier that's Brogan Austin and this is episode 44 of the morning shakeout podcast What's up, everybody? Hope you had a great holiday season. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and thank you for tuning into my podcast, where every week I glean insight and inspiration from some of the top athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running. This week, I'm excited to welcome Brogan Austin to the show. For those of you who don't know, Brogan won CIM in early December. He ran 212 and change to claim his first national title and honestly make his case as a contender for the 2020 Olympic marathon team. We had a great conversation a couple weeks back, and I am stoked to share it here with you today. I got to learn a lot about who Brogan is, where he came from, how he trains, what it's like to train and race at a high level while holding down a full-time job, why he loves breakfast cereal, what life has looked like for him since winning a national championship, and a whole lot more. You're going to love this one, so we won't waste any more time with a long-winded intro. Let's get right to it with reigning U.S. marathon champion, Brogan Austin. Brogan Austin, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm super impressed with your race at CIM, but I want to stay away from that, at least at the beginning of this call, because I'm more impressed by the fact that you go through about three boxes of cereal a week. <laughs> and let's just start right there. When did your affinity for cereal begin? That's that's my mom's fault. She is a cereal queen as well. So, you know, any opportunity she has to eat cereal, she's eating cereal. And um, it was always a treat to eat cereal. So sometimes we would eat cereal for supper, and those were those were my favorite days. But we had some restrictions. You know, we could have one bowl of cereal for for breakfast, and then uh, if we had cereal for supper, we were allowed. I think we were allowed two bowls of cereal. So I, I definitely went ham on the cereal. But, you know, a, a sugary mouthful of cereal is, is never a bad problem. So, you know, I've, I've always had a problem with eating cereal. And that's <laughs> honestly the one thing I want to change about myself. I always see these people posting, eat healthy, eat, eat bagels and peanut butter. And, uh, you know, I, I want to embrace that lifestyle. But Cereal is just too good to give up. Well, it seems to have worked pretty well for you so far. You know, the carbohydrates just do me right. Or the sugar, you know, gets me up in the morning. So growing up, you had a per diem for cereal, more or less. Oh, man, we had per diem for everything. Mom, <laughs> mom, you know, we had some pretty strict rules, but I think we turned out okay. I, th- I think uh, it, it taught me some discipline for later in life. So now as a grown man, what is in your cereal lineup? 
It, it changes, to be honest. Um, I'll, I'll eat a bunch of one thing and then I'll start craving something else. But right now I'm on a chocolate mini wheats kick. I've been trying to eat healthier and healthier. I've been trying to get it away from the cartoon character cereal boxes, but, uh, you know, the mini wheats still have a car, uh, a, a cartoon character on there, but it's still unhealthy with all the sugar that's in it. But, uh, I do, I do enjoy the chocolate mini wheats right now. Leading up to CIM, which we'll talk about in a little bit, did you have a cereal that you were eating every day in training that became sort of a superstitious thing once you got into a good groove with training where you're like, you know, I really want to change this sugary cereal habit that I have, but right now things are going good. So I'm going to wait until after this race to do that. Oh yeah. I, so routine is key. The digestive system was my main concern leading up to CIN. So I wanted to keep everything the same. So I ate people, people freak out about eating the same thing every day, but I embrace that lifestyle. So I'll, I'll eat the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner every, every day. So, um, the week leading up to the marathon, I had my, my chocolate mini wheats for breakfast. And then, um, just my, my standard, uh, I'll have like garden of life. I think they have like a vegetable bar. I try to, you know, eat the minimum fruits and vegetables and, uh, carbohydrates, make sure I'm getting those out of the way. And then, uh, supper is usually a free for all. I, I ate my good foods or my nutritional needs for, for breakfast. And even though chocolate mini wheats aren't the best for you, but <laughs> Um, I'll get, I'll eat like bananas and other fruits and vegetables for, for lunch. And then, uh, though the week of the marathon, I just had, you know, the stereotypical, uh, spaghetti, um, very uninteresting, but I kept it the consistent and my digestive system held up for, for CIM. Let's just go with cereal being the key to your success. So if there's a cereal industry executive listening to this episode, Brogan Austin is, taking sponsorship for, yep, for, for cereal moving <laughs> forward. So if you want to get some good publicity heading into the 2020 Olympic trials, get on this train right oh, now. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, they'd probably put them out of business though. I, I probably keep them in business for as much cereal as I buy. I it's, it's disgusting amount. I, so, uh, I have like a whole cupboard full of cereal. I, the, the worst thing is running out of cereal. You get like a half a bowl of cereal and you're, you're still hungry. So I'll have like five boxes of chocolate mini wheats in my cupboard at all times. Even if I, I have like three boxes left and I'm going to the grocery store, I'll just, I'll just pick up three more boxes just cause it's you like don't want to run out. It's like you're preparing for the apocalypse. Oh, I, I definitely, I'm good for, you know, right now I think I have like five boxes of cereal and <laughs> That's good enough for probably like three weeks or something like that. Well, let's yeah. let's uh, let's start talking about CIM. Obviously, it was a big breakthrough for you, and we'll get into the nitty gritty of the race here in a little bit. But when did you first put that race on the radar and decide that you wanted to target it at the end of this year? Uh, you know, it was sort of so. I opened up with the 2016 Olympic trials, and after that race. That was my first marathon, and I, oh man! After that, I was, I could barely walk around. I saw grown men on the ground crying because of of cramps, and I felt my legs starting to do the same. And I'm like, I do not want to be that guy. So I, I started walking around for. I think I walked for close to two hours after the race, just because 
my legs were so messed up. I'm like, I am never doing a marathon again. But in the back of the mind, mind I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do another one. And so uh, I put it off. I knew I was going to put it off for a couple of years at minimum. And, uh, you know, the year before, I, you know, I thought to myself, I could get three more marathons in in preparation for, for the Olympic trials. So um, I originally intended to run the Chicago Marathon, but after everybody just ran ridiculously fast at CIM last year, I started licking my chops and I'm like, yep, that's, that's where I'm going to run. That's, it's a U.S. championship event. That's definitely where I was going to run. So, um, I think, right. So it would have been, you know, the 2017 CIM championships where I was like, yep, running that next year. And, uh, just started tuning up ever since then. Funny how that works. Cause I am not at your level, but I was at CIM 2017s. I had some athletes running and was so inspired by the scene that day, not just what was happening at the front of the field, but all the way back to mm-hmm. two, like, I'm a 230 guy. And there were 106 guys who broke 230 at that yeah. race. And I hadn't done it in a while. I was like, I want in on that next year. And I signed up the next day. And it's pretty wild how just one race can impact you in that way where it's a year out, but you're like, I want in on that next oh, year yeah. and give myself a shot to run fast. And in your case, go for a national championship. Yeah. And I, and I saw you got your PR too. So that's super exciting. You know, I had, I had this sub goal. I think I said this to you when I reached out initially of finishing within 15 minutes of the winner last year, Tim Ritchie ran 211 yeah. and change. I figured it would be a 211, 212 race. And I, I wanted to just break my PR number one. That was the primary thing, which was 228, 25. And then I got 227, 33. I think you were what, 212, 38, I think. Yeah. So I yeah. snuck right in that little 15 minute um, window. Sure. So I was pumped about that. You know, I slowed up just at the end for you. I, <laughs> I knew, I knew you're looking for that, that within 15, but. Yeah, that's awesome. PR is not a bad thing to have. So let's talk about your race itself. You won, but you didn't take the lead until quarter mile to go, basically. Um, Matt Yano took it out pretty aggressively and led for 26 miles before you went by him with two turns to go. Take me through the second half of the race. And when you hit halfway, what was going through your mind at the time? Mm-hmm. So I, I honestly hate those guys who, who sit on you the whole time and then outkick you at the very end. We, I had a bunch of uh, friends who would do that to me in workouts at, at Drake. but So I, I feel super guilty for, for Matt taking it out and leading the whole time and then me taking over the, the last quarter. But, uh, you know, I'm not too disappointed with winning. Um, but in, in regards to the race, uh, it was very uninteresting for you know, the first two hours of the race and nothing really happened until a mile 18 where where the race usually starts for the marathon. And, uh, you know, I, I really hadn't truly trained and raced a marathon before. So I didn't know how my body was going to respond and whether or not I was going to blow up or cramp up or I was still uneasy with my nutrition and, uh, how that was going to play out. So I was, the whole time I was pretty conservative with how I was racing and, uh, you know, people s- traded off the leads and I, I just kept biding my time sitting in the back of the pack and kind of feeling everybody out. 
And I think uh, it was Martin Heher who uh, started picking it up around mile 21 or so. And uh, that's also when we got someone from the crowd shouted out to us that Matt was still two minutes ahead of us. And uh, just to back up a little bit further, my, my original goal was to, to win the race. I, I, you know, I was talking to my coach, Tom Schwartz or coach Tenman, and uh, he, he thought I could win. And, you know, I had some race results where I had an inkling that I had the potential to win with, with the field that day. And, um, once the, I heard that, that Matt, Matt was still two minutes ahead and I'm like, ah, he's, he's not coming back. So I, I could still see the second and third place guys. And, um, we had a huge pack, probably like 10 to 15 guys around mile 21. And, uh, I, I just thought I'd play it conservative and, um, just try to go for second place. And, uh, they were, the second place guy was still within striking distance. So I, I bided my time a little bit longer. And then at mile 23, I just thought it was time to go. I know there were a lot of quick guys, uh, you know, in college that would whoop up on me. So like Martin here or Brandon Gregg, um, I didn't want to stick around for a 400 meter dash and just get blitzed by those guys. And so I, I decided to go with 5k and, uh, you know, just started rolling along and uh, just had those little milestones of catching the third place guy and second place guy and had the, had all of the momentum in the world and just got so much adrenaline there at the end. I, did, I didn't even feel, that was probably the easiest three miles too. Just, uh, I was just getting so excited the, the farther and farther or closer and closer to the finish line I got. Were you paying attention to your watch at all, or were you just racing at that point, trying to pick off as many people as you could? Uh, I was, I was definitely paying attention to my watch. I was trying to gauge my effort versus what I was running, and so when I went at mile twenty-three, I, I knew I had picked it up. I think we were, I think we clicked off like a five hundred two at mile twenty-one, and then mile twenty-two it was like four fifty-eight. So we were. Martin was pushing the pace a little bit and, uh, I just, I just try to stay super smooth and open up the, you know, my stride a little bit more. And then I went through 452 in the next mile. So nothing, I mean, I picked it up a little bit, but nothing like shooting out of a cannon to, to drop everybody. And, I assumed some people would go with me, but I didn't look back to, to see if that was the case. And then when I clicked off a 452, that sort of surprised me and uh, also excited me. And, you know, I just kept focusing on reeling in the people in front of me. And maybe it was a little downhill the next mile or or something. But then I hit a 444 mile and then that's when I really got excited. And then even more excited when I saw Matt was just off in the distance and he was he was coming back pretty quick what point of the race was that when he first came into view uh i I honestly wasn't even paying attention to i just thought he was long gone at that point so i think i i caught the second place guy at you know mile 25 and that's when i sort of looked up and i was like where where is where's matt now and then i saw the lead car was not not too far ahead and that's that's when I really got excited. I'm like, Oh my, I can, I can actually do this. Like, this is, this is nuts. And I didn't know if anybody was behind me at that point too. So I'm like, 
I just hit a 440 mile or 444 mile. Like, let's just keep this ball rolling and let's not blow up or cramp up. And uh, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to catch him before the end. So I, I just kept staying smooth. And uh, he just started coming back quicker and quicker. And uh, that's that's when I really got, I was just getting more and more amped. So, and I could just feel my stride getting like more smooth and like stronger. And I don't know, I just got an extra bout of energy that, that last mile there. So take me through that last mile. Because as you said, you had the momentum at that point. You're dropping your fastest miles of the race. And on some level, it's only a mile to go. But at the end of a marathon, a lot can happen in that last mile if you roll the dice too aggressively. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. take me through that fine line that you're walking with a mile to go where you can see Matt, you can taste victory almost, or at least know that you have a shot at it. But at the same time, you're like, don't screw this up, Brogan. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess for me, or even just like other folks who've never run the marathon before, it's it's just a different beast. And I know people say that all the time, but it, it literally is just a different beast. It's unlike anything you've ever run before. It's a different type of hurt. So on the track, like mile, 3K, 10K, you can usually gauge, oh, my legs are hurting or my cardio is hurting. I'm not going to be able to hold this pace or I'm just going to blow up. Whereas the marathon, you're sort of just hanging out, chilling, and your body is telling you, Hey, this is pretty easy. Let's, let's speed up a little bit, but you have to be pretty conscious of slowing down or not running too fast at the beginning. And then just throughout the race, your legs just get a little bit heavier and a little bit heavier and a little bit heavier and your cardio is still doing fine, but yet your body is just, um, just weighing on you a little bit more. And that's, uh, it's just, it's just a really weird feeling. And when I was going into you know the last six miles or the last three miles it's i was still in the back of my mind saying like don't go too hard because you don't know what your body can handle and uh i i've never really been able to test my limits in the marathon before so i was trying to be as conservative as possible and uh <laughs> you know you hit those mystery bumps in the roads and uh it's almost like your legs give out it's it's like what's what's going on here or like you get in a rhythm and then if you get it gets off a little bit it's like your body just wants to give out and so uh i was definitely aware of where the cracks are on the road i actually deliberately remember there's one point where you have to go over railroad tracks and uh i'm like i don't want to step on these cracks so i had to change (laughs) change my stride a little bit i'm like oh that was that took a lot out of me but uh so the whole last mile, it was just about, you know, staying under control and then uh, just staying smooth and not doing anything too risky. And, uh, yeah, my, my legs were definitely shaky there at the end. But I think what's uh, awesome about that, too, is any marathon, regardless of whether you're running, you know, 212 like you did or you're running 312 or 412, mm-hmm. you experience that same thing at the end oh, of the yeah. race where – you're, you're like barely picking your feet up off the ground. You're like, don't trip over that railroad tire. Don't trip, trip over that stone or, oh, this left turn is not going to be fun on my hip. And oh, yeah. like all that, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's a super relatable thing, even though the speeds are, are very different. Take me through that moment when you went by Matt. You went by him hard. I mean, he was tying up a bit at that point. When you went past 
and you knew you had the lead at that point, did you know you had the win or were you still running scared that last 400 meters or so? Oh, hundred percent running scared. I didn't know anything. I didn't, I didn't look back at all, or I was just trying to run my race there at the, that last 5k and just put the hammer down and catch as many people as I, I could. And running distance running is such a, a mind game, especially on the roads. Any, any, anybody can act or like try to mentally break you. Um, you know, I have these road races in the Midwest where, um, you know, there's a, a group of runners who come over from, from Kenya or the, uh, or Ethiopia or any of that region over there. And they, and they come just to do these road races during the summer. And, uh, they'll, they'll have like some teammates who will take it out hard just to see if you'll go with them. And then, uh, they'll have people in the back doing cleanup duties. So there are so many mental games that go into road racing. That's unlike the track where it's, you know, for the most part, people sit and kick or people are out there to do a time trial of some sort. Whereas the roads, you can, you know, call people's bluff and run really hard. And then people just like coast it in because you've, you've won the mental battle. And that was something I, I took into mind too. I, I mean, I was hurting. I hope everybody else was hurting. And, uh, when Matt was coming back, I, you know, puffed up my chest a little bit. And I said, let's pick it up. I don't, I don't want him to, you know, latch on and, and me pull him to the finish line. I didn't, I didn't know how he was feeling. Maybe he thought he had won it at that, that point. But, um, when I went by him, I, I made sure to, to pick it up there. And, um, <laughs> I remember my legs were like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> let's not do this. But yeah, I, I tried to be deliberate about, um, picking it up there at the end when I went by him. Well, in a moment like that, that body language is really important because if you look like you're dying too, then he still thinks he has a shot. But yeah, if you've yeah. got that kind of power pose going as you're going by him and he knows that he's tying up at that point, which I'm sure yeah. he did just looking at the numbers on his watch, he's mentally crushed and he's just not going to come oh, yeah. back no matter what's left in his legs. Oh yeah. And, and the, the famous looking back is, uh, I'm, I'm hurting. Like, please, please don't catch me. <laughs> like who's, who's catching me. That's the, the famous look back. So I, I deliberately didn't look back until the last, you know, I guess the second to last turn. And, uh, so as soon as I turned, I looked back to see who is with me or, um, see if Matt went with me. And to see if I needed to throw the hammer down or not. And uh, I think I, you know, I opened up a bigger gap than I was expecting. And I didn't see anybody else uh, in the distance. And that's when it finally hit me. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I'm actually going to do this. Like, I'm, a, I'm actually going to win the national championship. And that, I, that was just super surreal. And it just felt super weird. It was so weird. I never felt, I don't know. I Like, part of me thought... I could win and that was my goal, but for it to actually happen was just, I don't know. I don't, I can't even, I, I was still trying to wrap my head around it and it's, um, it's just, I don't know. It's awesome. It's, well, well, I can't be more excited. Well, and I think for the way that it happens, as you had described earlier, midway through the race, Matt's not even in sight and you had oh, yeah. almost resigned yourself to the fact that everyone was running for second place because mm-hmm. he'd already run a fast marathon in the past. He's clearly got road racing chops and he's someone who could hold on to that type of, of pace. But 
you just focused on yourself and kept running your race. And then things played out in the last few miles. And all of a sudden, this goal that you had set before the race and almost had kind of given up halfway through is now right in front of your face. And I think that's just a big lesson in staying with it and just focusing on yourself and not being discouraged because other people are either ahead of you or seemingly having a better day. And that allowed you to tap into some new gears there at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the great thing about competition is, or even just running in general is it's, it's all about yourself and maybe even greater than that, your, your running community is behind you and they want you to do well or set PRs. But, you know, as, as long as you're happy or, or like, as long as you're doing things that are of value to you, I think people really rally behind that. And I think that's, what's so cool and unique about the running community. And, um, you know, I just focused on, on myself and was, trying to run a big PR for the day and, uh, you know, the stars aligned and gave me an extra cherry on the top there to, you know, win a national championship. So it was all the merrier. Hey, we are going to take a quick break, not just cause I need a breather, but we have to thank our sponsor for this episode. And it's one that I am really excited about Strava. I've personally been a Strava user for five years now. You can look me up. My name is Mario Fraley. Give me a follow if you aren't already. I post there almost every day. And Strava is hands down the best app for runners, cyclists, and triathletes. Strava is a great way to keep yourself accountable, stick to your New Year's resolutions, keep track of your training, analyze the data afterward, and it's also a great way to stay connected with and be motivated by other athletes who are getting after it every day. Aside from that last bit, one of my favorite Strava features is called Workout Analysis, which automatically graphs each lap split that I take on my watch, like if I'm out doing a track workout. And it shows it to me afterward in varying shades of blue, making it easy to see my intensity level for each effort. It's an intuitive and easy way to evaluate my workout, compare efforts, and check my overall progress, and I have had just way too much fun geeking out over bar graphs the last few years. Strava is free to use whenever you want to log a workout, uh, but there's also a number of extra special summit features that cost just a few dollars a month that allow you to set goals and stay motivated, better analyze your workouts, dig deeper into the data, share your location with others during activities, and explore new places with confidence. There's a lot more, but for a limited time, you can check it out yourself because Strava is offering Morning Shakeout listeners, that is you, a chance to try these summit features for free, absolutely free. Just go to strava.com slash summit. That's strava, S-T-R-A-V-A dot com slash summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, and enter the code SHAKEOUT. That is one word, SHAKEOUT, all lowercase, at checkout, and you'll see what summit's all about. My thanks to Strava for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. By all accounts, you nailed it. The second marathon, PR'd by a huge amount, 12 minutes, I think, from your first one. Executed a very good race, won a national title. Now that you've had a few weeks to digest all of that, where can you improve moving forward? <laughs> that's that's a great question. Um so, you know, I, I'm always trying to figure out ways to get better and, you know, you know, winning this race gives me the hope that I can make an Olympic team. So, uh, I, I immediately call my coach after the race and I'm, 
I'm like, what's, what are, what are we doing now? Like how, how are we going to get better now? And, uh, <laughs> he's actually, he's getting his doctorate right now. So it, the, the conversation was probably about 30 seconds and, uh, he's like, Hey, great job. Super proud of you. Take three days off and then, uh, we'll get back at it. And then he had to hang up and then, uh, <laughs> we, we weren't able to talk again until probably about a week after, um, but we, uh, you know, we're, we're focusing on 2020 alone, the Olympic trials alone. And he thinks I can, I can make a lot of fitness gains, um, from, from here until now. And, uh, that, that's our, that's our main goal is just to not really worry about races or running the marathon again until 2020. So, you know, just keep, keep grinding, grinding on the workouts and, uh, as, as far as like personal reflection on, on the marathon, uh, we, we had perfect day and it's perfect weather, uh, great competition. And, uh, I, I think thing, a lot of things went well. Um, I think the biggest thing for me now is to just mentally fortify that I do belong in that front group and, um, you know, really test myself against the competitors that can qualify for Olympic trials. And, you know, I need to do, there's the, the fitness component, but also there's the mental component of understanding who your competitors are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and then, um, playing to your strengths and, uh, against their weaknesses too. So, um, I, I feel like there's a lot of studying from my side that needs to be done. And then, also, uh, the nutrition component, you know, maybe I need to give up cereal. Maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> you need to eat more that. of it. Who knows? Yeah, maybe, maybe I just need to eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, well, yeah, I, the marathon, there's, there are so many little factors that can improve your time or detract from your time. So, um, I know I just want to be a student of the sport and, and keep learning as much as I can. And, uh, I, I, I've always been that way and I, I hope to continue to be that way. So, but, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I guess just continue to be the student is, is what I want to can do forward. What are the biggest strengths that you bring to the table as a marathoner? Uh, so I, I guess how my coach trains me is I don't really have a weakness at any distance. So, um, I like to say that if I would have ran the mile that day, I think I would have been close to breaking four on that day too. He, cause he just makes me so well-rounded and, um, not, you know, one dimensional in my, my running tactics. So if it, I mean, it was a sit and kick race per se. And, um, I think I could have run a fast race for a marathon that day too. I could have run a fast mile that day. Like if we, if we would have had a hat of all these different races and, uh, all, and we had that same field and we pulled out a random race distance, I, I think I could have been, you know, top three in, in any of those races against that same field. And so that to me is like a huge, confidence boost. So come 
come to the Olympic trials, however it plays out, my training allows me to be competitive on that day, no matter the race type. And, and I think that is, um, a, a really huge, um, benefit. And so, you know, if we get halfway and, um, ex athlete is there and I know he has a, a mile background and he's got a great kick, then I, then I know I need to push at this point or, Maybe they don't have a great kick, and then I know I can sit longer and um, outkick them. And um, for me, it's uh, really understanding that and then being as efficient as I can and then um, exploiting my strength uh, versus other people's weaknesses and then you know trying to capitalize on that. That's a pretty on, good on strength to have in your back pocket, especially no, at your yeah. level. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, it's, it's not me. It's my coach. It's a hundred percent my coach. I mean, I do the, the training and whatnot, but his like ingenuity of the sport is, you know, it, it I think, I don't know. I, I like to say, and maybe this is my biased opinion, but I, I believe most coaches, you know, they, they, go to flow track and they see a cool workout and it's like, Oh, that was, sounds like a tough workout. Let's implement that workout. Or maybe that's just me. I, I like ate that stuff up. I'm like, Oh, that's a, that's a great workout. I don't know why it's a great workout, but it sounds like a great workout. Um, or everybody's doing six by mile or everybody's doing 10 by K like everybody's doing it. So I guess I might as well be doing it. Whereas Tom takes a very scientific approach. Like he, he's been studying the sport for 30 plus years and he like, he's got his doctorate, he's got his master's, he's got his undergrad and all of like exercise science. And he understands like the body metabolizes this at this rate and your body needs this much recovery based on this type of effort. And it's science. Like it's, he's mathematically proven that you need to do this type of run for this type of distance and, um, you need this much recovery and it allows you to be so efficient in your training. And it also allows you to be well, so well-rounded in your training. And I, and that's a component I never had before. Like I, I was always super one dimensional and now, and now I'm capable of running any distance in any race. And, uh, that's, that's just the, the madness between, um, you know, his training that he's implemented for me. Let's talk about your coach, Tom Schwartz, a.k.a. Tin Man, for a little bit. How long have the two of you been working together? So uh, we started in July, and, uh, you know, things escalated pretty quickly. I th- my first official race was October 5th. So we go August, September. We had, like, two solid months of training, and... I was already reaping the benefits within two months. And, you know, I think for the most part, people say you need to stick with a coach or a training philosophy for a year before you start reaping the benefits. But I was already reaping the benefits within within two months. And uh, I don't know. For me, I thought that was crazy. I I had some initial goals and he... I I... I I struggled a lot with like injuries and overtraining or undertraining. And I knew I had the capabilities to run X times. And I proposed that to 10 men and he kind of like brushed up to the side. He's like, let's not, let's not worry about times. Let's just focus on the training. 
And uh, as your training progresses and you start to hit different times, then your goal race times uh, progress with that. And uh, I, I feel like that's a super unique approach. Like for me, I was always like, oh, I want to run a 29 minute 10K. So let's go out and run 440 pace or 29 minute 10K pace, like over and over and over until it becomes easier. And then and then when it comes race day, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm good to plug in that pace and run 440 pace and that makes you so one-dimensional whereas you know we'll we'll hit all of these different components and it's building certain aspects of the motor or the engine and it also allows you to be multi-dimensional in any type of race um and uh that that was a huge component for me to you know reach new heights and uh break barriers that i didn't think was possible i so my original goal for the, the marathon was 215, and that was a stretch goal. That was an A goal for sure. I I was like, I, you know, if the stars align and I have a good day, I can run 215. And I and I told Tom that when I first you know had had a touch base with him in July, and he and he's like, don't don't worry about time. We're not going to worry about time. Um, you this is going to be your first official marathon, and um, you're just gonna we're gonna have the day that we have. You're gonna have the competition that we have, and we're just gonna go out there and compete. And, uh, like, you know, four months later, he's like, I think you can run 210, you know, based off of what you've been doing, you can run a 210 marathon. And if you would have told me that in July, I would have been angry that I didn't start working with Tom, you know, 10 years earlier. Like, there's five minutes, taking five minutes off your marathon. Like, I thought at if the stars aligned 215, that was going to be my absolute max capacity. And to, you know, blow five minutes off my, my max capacity was just dumbfounding. And that's, and I've only been training with him for, you know, five months. And I don't know, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, keep with the training and maybe a year I'll, I'll really start to reap the benefits of his training. How did you guys get hooked up in July? Because you were based in Iowa. Tin Man is in Boulder and he has a great group of guys there who just won the national cross country championships. What was that initial interaction? Who facilitated it and how quickly? Obviously, it grew pretty quickly from there, but where'd it go from there? Yeah. So I, uh, I have two friends on, on the Tim and training group. So Tyler Mueller, I uh, worked with him in Madison, Wisconsin, and I trained with him for about a year before he took off to pursue professional running more seriously in Boulder. And then, uh, Reed Fisher, I ran at Drake university with him. So, uh, there were four guys who started this original 10 man elite group and I knew two of them. So I had been following them since the beginning. And then, you know, Drew Hunter is a, a big icon on the sport too. So, um, I, I, I mean, I had known him just from media and whatnot. And so I just followed their story since the beginning and they actually won the club cross country championships last year. Mm-hmm. And, that's when they they formed their ragtag group and they had they had a, a white t-shirt. They just went to Wal- I think they went to Walmart and bought a white t-shirt and they just wrote Tin Man on their t-shirt with a Sharpie. 
and it you know they just looked like a, a bunch of scrubs and, and embraced the scrub mentality of you know we don't have anybody supporting us financially we're out here just a hard group of working men who want to get better and be the best that we can be and uh we we just do it for the love of the sport and i i really like that and they all had i mean they, they just ran so well that day and um beat a lot of good teams like the american distance project group was out there hansen's distance group was out there sap was out there reebok or the uh, yeah zap fitness was out there um hoka nazalite team was out there and for them just to have this random ragtag group of guys and uh, go out there and win that's when i really took notice i was like who is this 10-man guy like let's let's really figure this out so you know, I, I'd been following their story for a while and all during that time, I was just having a miserable season. I was having the worst season, you know, in, in a really long time. And, uh, it wasn't until the USA outdoor track championships that all four of the 10 man group guys qualified for the championship outdoor championship. And that was my goal too, was to make that event, but I was just injured and couldn't get the the ball rolling and uh, didn't qualify. So I, I was in the stands watching them have fun out there on the track. And then Reed ended up getting fourth and then Tyler had a great race and he was leading the pack for through like halfway and ended up, you know, top 15 as well. And on that day I was like, yep, I'm going to reach out to Mr. Tinman and, and see what, what we got have to offer here. So your relationship now is entirely remote with the two of you being in different places. Has the result at CIM spurred any thoughts to make a change to your living situation so you can go out and train with the group or maybe do that on a part-time basis? I'd love to get your thoughts on all that. Oh yeah, for sure. That's been a huge question. You know, I've been battling and rattling around in my brain, trying to figure out what's important to me. I think there are so many components to life that are important. Like I want to build like my, my career as a, like a job, my working career. I have friends and family that are super important to me. Um, you know, they, they make me extremely happy and, um, push me to be a better person as well. And then, um, you know, how important is, is running to me and like on the pedestal of things, where does it fit? And, uh, I don't want to give up everything, but I think I need to take chances as well. And, uh, I actually, you had good timing on this. I actually had a conversation with my boss yesterday and, uh, we had a heart to heart and I, I, you know, I was like, I, I really need to take the running seriously. A lot of doors have opened up for me and, uh, I, propose what are my options to you know work remotely because i think i have a good shot of making the olympic team and she is was she's been so supportive of my running endeavors and she's one of my biggest fans too just like everybody i work with have been super supportive and and she's like you know what let's talk to hr and figure something out and if not like we can get you like training stints away. So, uh, I, now I got the thumbs up to, to, to work remotely. And, uh, 
I haven't, I haven't even told the 10 man guys yet though. Uh, I want to validate it with HR before I go starting rumors, but, um, you know, I, I would definitely want to go give it a shot and maybe move out there or do it as a <clears throat> trial run and, uh, see how well it'll fit with me. That's an amazing opportunity. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I've been, I've been so blessed, so lucky. Like my, my life is just ridiculous right now. I've, I, I can't thank people enough. I, people have taken so many chances on me and like when I didn't deserve it and I am in just in such a lucky situation. I, I don't, I feel like not a lot of people would have the same opportunities as I am. And I'm, I'm trying to take advantage of them as much as I can. And, uh, I'm just, I'm super blessed and trying to be appreciative of everything. Uh, but it, yeah, it's been a whirlwind of a ride and, and, and trying to really embrace everything. A couple things you've talked about that I want to dig into. It's really fascinating for me to see Tin Man kind of come into prominence over the last couple of years as a coach that now people are learning more and more about because he's working with higher profile athletes who are having success. But I remember when I was in college, I'm about 10 years older than you. This was in the early 2000s. There was a website that doesn't exist anymore, but it's kind of a underground hit back then. It was called runinsight.com, run-insight.com. And it was really focused on kind of the D2, D3 collegiate side of the sport. And they had some pro news in there and interviews and things like that. And I posted my training log there my senior year of college. But Tin Man was writing articles for the site. And I don't think he was pursuing his PhD at the time, but I remember not knowing anything about this Tom Schwartz guy. And I don't even think he used his name back then. I think it was just Tin Man. But Mm -hmm. he was writing these very (laughs) well-researched articles that were founded in science and his own experience as a coach. And they just made a lot of sense to me. And I printed them all out. I still have them. I have stacks of Tin Man articles from like 2003, basically. That's Um, awesome. Still in my own coaching folder because that's what I do in addition to this podcast is is coaching athletes. And he and I have never met, but he's been one of the biggest coaching influences on me. And it's really cool to see him sort of be recognized. Not that he's looking for that, but obviously – his training works. He's seeing results uh, and he's seeing results in on the track. He's seeing them on the cross country course and now in the marathon with your performance. I think that's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's that man has been grinding for years. He's been, he's been so dedicated for so long and I, I don't know his entire story. And the more I, I learn about him, the, the more I understand that he, he's been 100% like run coach like forever, like on let's run boards, just trying to help people out, trying to like make a name for himself. Right. And, uh, yeah, I feel like the past couple of years, things have really like got the ball rolling. I know, I know he's super busy. I, he still makes time for us, but he's, he's like, my, my, my phone has just been going off the hook I'm lately. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, it all deserved. He's been, uh, you know, been you know hasn't been appreciated for the work ethic or all the training or the studying or the science the research the reading um and now 
I, I hope the best for him to, to reap the benefits. Yeah. And that's, what's really been impressive to me too, through it all. And even looking back 15 years now is he's put a lot of this stuff out there. Some of it you can't find anymore because <laughs> some of these websites have died, but it was all out there and he was willing to share what he had learned and what had worked for his athletes. And I always appreciated that. And I remember emailing him back in the day with questions that I had, and he was very generous in his replies. And hopefully I'll get to meet up with him someday at a race and we can, you know, kind of talk shop there. But I think he's a great asset to the sport and it's amazing to see the success that you and the rest of his athletes are having. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's, he's going to change the sport forever too. It's just his his training and methodologies is, is, people come to understand it more and um, as, as more pro athletes or distance runners go to lean on him. And I mean, like even high school athletes, he has high school state champions all the time. And I know he helped coach uh, the NXN cross country champions too. They were back-to-back champions. So like he, he can do it at all levels, high school. And then Grace Ping, uh, she's a high school phenom too. Um, so he, I mean, he's, he's done it at all facets. It's, it doesn't just work for one specific runner. It works for any type of runner and he, and he knows how to cater the training to, to any type of athlete. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been crazy. I'm, I, you know, I'm honored to be a part of the ride too. I love it. The other thing I want to dig into, which you had just talked about, is your working life. You are not a full-time professional runner. And as you said, since CIM, opportunities have come up and you talk to your boss and now you're going to be able to work remotely. But you have a job, full-time job as a project manager in IT. And now you're going to take that and work remotely, which will give you a bit more flexibility. But how important is it for you, especially at this stage of your life, you're 27, to have that in addition to running moving yeah, forward. I, I, I think it's extremely important, you know, uh, in college, I, I put too much of an emphasis on running and when running didn't go well, my happiness didn't go well. And I got super depressed and unmotivated and really began to understand that you need balance in life. You need to have, a you need to, I, I like to say you need to diversify the portfolio. You can't invest in one stock. And then if that stock goes poorly, your, your whole investment goes poorly. So, um, I, I try to, you know, focus on my friends, focus on my family, focus on my job, focus on running and then, you know, anything in between and really try to, um, diversify myself. So when one thing doesn't go well, I have other, friends or family or hobbies to, to, to lean on. And I feel like that's extremely important for, for anybody or any, any type of happiness. And, um, I, I truly consider those, um, when trying to make decisions, you know, so not just how it'll impact my running, but, um, how is it going to impact my overall happiness? And I feel ultimately in life, that's, you only have one life, so you you better enjoy all all the fruits they have to offer. And um, a working career, also, I mean, it's not fun all the time, but it allows you to grow in other facets. I, I get challenged in some ways; I get stressed in some ways. Um, but I ultimately have other milestones that I get to look forward to too. And then also, 
the financial stability of it all is very reassuring. I know a lot of runners fully commit um, and nothing is ever guaranteed in, in distance running. Like we have a, a short timeline of when we're going to be peak athletes and um, we're going to have to ultimately find something to do after it all. So that's always in the back of my mind too, you know, in a perfect world, maybe I'd work part time, but I don't, I don't think I could see myself ever not working. You are a spreadsheet junkie and self-described yeah. analytical nerd. Where does that come from? <laughs> so in uh, college, I guess maybe back up a little bit further. I, uh, I excelled in math and I was just an absolute scrub in English. I, I, the whole concept of writing papers or, or reading, I thought I was too cool for. And, uh, with maturing, uh, I've come to understand that it's extremely important. Anything is important. Uh, and like I said before, you need to diversify the portfolio. You can't just be good at one thing. Um, and so I've, I, you know, I've been trying to practice. I've been deliberate about reading the classics and trying to write. I've been trying to blog, um, trying to work on my weaknesses. But ultimately, I, I excelled in math. And um, I got my undergrad in math and uh so I'm a very math and numbers driven person and I'm always trying to find ways to be more efficient or, you know, cost effective in life. And one of my bucket list items uh, was to live off of $10 a day for food. And so right after college, that was, I did it for a year. Um, I built out like all these Excel documents, a budget document, um, I read books. I, I read about stocks and investing and, uh, Dave Ramsey was a big influence on me saying, you don't, you don't need to take out loans. You need to be smart with your money. And so, um, I just delved deeper and deeper into making Excel spreadsheets. So now I have all these formulas built out to forecast. If I invest this, what will be the return? Or if I save this, what will be my return? Or if I you know, buy a house versus renting an apartment, like what, what will I waive, um, those options? So I, you know, to an obsession, I like to, (laughs) if I can apply numbers, I will, I will find a way to do it and then throw it in Excel and make a a pretty Excel sheet and then probably forget about it a week later. Does that transfer over into your running? Oh yeah, for sure. That's I'm an, I'm obnoxious with <laughs> having to hit pretty numbers. I'm like, oh, but last time I was running this pace or a year ago. So that that also gets you in a rabbit hole. I've been trying to get away from that, but deep down inside, I yeah, I I love to see nice numbers. Well, I know in your training for CIM, you did a lot of your quality work on the treadmill. Is that a result of that session with wanting to see nice numbers <laughs> yeah. and having oh, yeah. precision? Yeah, 100%. It's so on one part, you get mental distractions. So there was a study on if you do mental problems during workouts, it gets you your mind away from the pain and allows you to have better workouts. So usually when I'm working out, I'll go to a fitness center and they usually have 
Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune on and lets me escape mentally while the workouts are going on. And I have way better workouts. And I can consistently say the temperature is going to be this, the environment is going to be this, the incline is going to be this, and uh, I'll be wearing the same thing. And um, if I'm not feeling well, I can like quickly adjust or if it's just not my day and I, I can quickly shut things down and I can just walk off the treadmill and go for an easy jog. Um, so it allows me to be extremely in tune with my body as well. Um, but I don't get to enjoy the nice weather days during <laughs> workouts, which is not a bad trade off. I follow your training on Strava. I've noticed on your non-workout days, you run a lot of out and backs. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with that? Yeah, so I got, I have a lot going on, and uh, I used so I used to work full time. I was getting my MBA full time, and I was running full time. And the last thing I wanted to do was plan a route or think about what I was doing. And for the longest time, I would do one workout a week, one long run a week, and then all the other days I would just run twelve miles, and I would do an out and back. So I it helps a lot if you don't have to think about things. And, uh, as soon as you start thinking about what workout you're going to do or whether or not you're going to do a workout, you're not, you're not going to run that day. It's like, you know what? I deserve a day off. And so I just try to get in a routine and not really think about things. And I also like the fact that when you're doing an out and back, you don't have to be deliberate about, where do I need to go next or how far have I gone? It's the same splits every single day. And then it really allows me to zone out quicker. So I, I just go out and daydream, think about things I have to do or, um, you know, be efficient in that way. So, you know, I just do a lot of mind numbing things and I try to, I try to be efficient and some people would go crazy during the same route every day, but I, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's kind of like your equivalent of Mark Zuckerberg's gray hoodie or Steve Jobs's black yeah. turtleneck. You're just eliminating the number of decisions that you have to make in a yeah. given day and you don't think twice about it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And so um, I probably need to go buy uh, some black turtleneck. That would <laughs> honestly be every every morning I, I sit in my closet. I'm like, what am I going to wear today? But yeah, those those guys have, have figured it out. So. Last thing, I know one of the quotes that you live by says digging through your blog, which note you should update because it's pretty damn good. Uh, and I enjoy <laughs> digging through some of the older, older articles, but you live by the quote, you are nothing but the fruit. Yeah. I'd love for you to explain to me and my listeners what that quote means to you. Yeah. I, so I, I just stumbled upon this article and so I can't, I can't steal, you know, someone's work of art in this article, but the phrase is nothing but the fruit. And, um, the deeper meaning behind that is, you know, like per se for the winter, you see a bunch of naked trees with no leaves and they just look like a bunch of trees and you don't really know what kind of trees they are. And, um, you know, spring comes and they start bearing leaves or sometimes they bear fruit like an apple. And you don't really know what the trees are until they start, you know, showing what they are. And I, I try to implement that philosophy in my life. I, I don't want to say I'm 
a nice person or like I'm a hard worker or a bunch of other things. And nobody else is going to believe it either until I start showing my fruit. Like if you, if you want to like portray a certain characteristic or you want people to believe you're a certain thing, you have to portray those characteristics. So um, for people to think you're an apple tree, you have to start showing some apples. And uh, I, I, I try to live with that mentality. I love it. I think that's a great place to wrap up our conversation. Brogan Austin, thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. I appreciate you having me. All right. That's a wrap on this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed it, even if you didn't, hit me up on Twitter. That's at Mario Fraioli, M-A-R-I-O-F-R-A-I-O-L-I. And give it to me. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I can take it all. If you would like to further support the show, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to audio on and just leave a rating and a review. Only takes a few seconds, helps other listeners to discover the show, and it really means a lot to me. So thank you to everyone who has done so already. Really, really does mean a lot. Also, big thank you to Strava. They sponsored this episode. I've personally been a Strava user for five years now. I love the platform. Look me up. Follow my training post to it almost every day. Strava is hands down the best app for runners, cyclists, and triathletes. It's a great way to keep yourself accountable, stick to those New Year's resolutions, keep track of your training, analyze the data afterward, and really, it's just a great way to get motivated by other athletes who are getting out and getting after it every day. Strava is free to use whenever you want to log a run or a workout, but there's also a number of extra special summit features that cost just a few dollars a month. They allow you to set goals and stay motivated, better analyze your workouts, dig deeper into the data, share your location during activities with significant others, and explore new places with confidence and a lot more. For a limited time, you can check those out. Strava is offering Morning Shakeout listeners, that is you, a chance to try those summit features for free. Go to strava.com slash summit. That's S-T-R-A-V-A dot com slash summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, and enter the code SHAKEOUT. That is one word, all lowercase letters, S-H-A-K-E-O-U-T, SHAKEOUT, at checkout, and see what Summit's all about. Finally, thank you to my audio ninja, John Summerford of bearsrecords.com for making this show sound as good as it does. I think that'll do it. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraley, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Mm-hmm.